beauty of Jesus. Well, welcome to Kalos Church. So happy that we're all here worshiping together. The Spirit of God is alive in this place. The Spirit of God is welcome in this place. We welcome what God is doing here. I'm so happy you guys are here. My name is Pradeep Njiva. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're about to walk more and more what God would have for us this morning. And we're so excited. And uh, I just want to say I'm proud of you guys as we're in our third week of Kalos Church. I feel like we're developing a, a culture where we're saying, hey, God, we love you. And we want to sing our guts out to you. Even if we sound a little bad at times, even if I'm a little off pitch. Do we have any off pitch singers in this place? But you know what? We don't have to be perfect. We can make a joyful noise. <laughs> and so, come on. I love it, though. You guys are singing. I love hearing your voices. I love seeing you press into this beautiful moment as we sing as one community of faith. It's not just like a stage and people who are participants in what's happening in the stage. We are one choir singing a joyful noise to the Lord together. Amen. And so you guys are a beautiful choir. I want, I want you to look at two or three people, get to know them a little bit, ask their name, and just you just say, hey, you're a great singer. Why don't you sing something for me right now, all right? Why don't you just greet two or three people, and you just ask them to sing for you. Awesome. I can't believe this is the third week for Kalos Church. I mean, that is incredible. That is incredible. Well, I'm going to go into my message. We are continuing a series we started last week called Beauty Will Save the World. And we talked about the beautiful gospel, a revelation, a new uh, idea of what God is to us that Jesus likes you. And, and I, I'm really thankful for all the people who came up to me after service last week, and they're like, wow, that, that just gave me a whole new perception of what God is like. The whole idea that the gospel allows us to see that even when we are like broken pieces, God creates masterpieces from broken pieces. Amen? And so we're starting week two of our series, Beauty Will Save the World. And today we're going to be talking about the beautiful cross, the beautiful cross. And I want to know, is there anybody here who's wearing a cross right now, like a piece of jewelry with a cross or a crucifixion? That's awesome. Is there anybody here who has maybe a cross tattoo? And you don't have to reveal, Jameson, don't show me. I know where your cross is. Don't show us that. Get some tattoos and strange places where, let me see your hands. You have a cross tattooed on you. And so we have this idea of the cross. And many of us have pieces of jewelry. Many of us have tattoos 
that represent the cross. And we use that as an object of beauty, an object of jewelry. And today we're going to talk about what is so beautiful about the cross. Because in fact, if you've studied Roman history or world history, you'll know that the cross was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of death. And so how today can an instrument of torture and death be associated with something beautiful like a piece of jewelry or Jameson's tattoo? Like, how did we get to this point in history where something as disastrous and ugly as a cross would be made beautiful? And I'm excited to continue and talk about this series. I believe that today we're going to get an understanding and a revelation of the truth of God's word that will apply to us all today. For those of us who are dealing with issues of ugliness and pain, who feel like there are things and addictions and habits that we just can't quite get rid of, I believe that this message is going to help us find freedom. Who could use a little more freedom in their life today? And so may God bless this message. So I want to read from John 12, and it says this. But Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In this passage, we see Jesus kind of predicting or foreshadowing that he was going to die on the cross so that others might experience life. You know, I have been thinking about death a little bit and uh, this whole idea of if you lose your life, you save it. If you save your life, you lose it. It's a paradigm. It's mysterious almost in the scripture. And, you know, uh, Becca and Zach Snyder over there, can you guys raise your hands? So these guys are awesome. How many of you guys appreciate their gift here on the stage with music? Zach was on the drums. Becca was singing. They're, they're just awesome. And a couple of weeks ago, they were at a trivia night. Nerds. So, sorry. That just, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> they were at a trivia night. And uh, they met this girl, Kristen. Is Kristen here? I saw you earlier. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't want to be pointed out. <laughs> and so, others are pointing her out. But Kristen, uh, they met Kristen at this trivia night. And they invited her to Kalos Church which is awesome. Love that you guys are inviting people. We want to be the most inviting place on earth where all are welcome to come. And so she actually came to a service, which was awesome. And then afterwards, we have something called Crash Course. Who's gone to Crash Course? And uh, it's awesome. Crash Course is a time where we share about the vision and our story about why we started a church in a comedy club here in Bellevue. So that's going to be, again, after service. Highly recommend you guys go if you're wondering how you can be involved, how you can contribute, not just consume, how you can be part of the miracle that is Kalos Church in a comedy club. And so she showed up, and they're like, hey, you got to meet our friend Kristen. She's studying to be a, a, a herbalist or as I would sometimes say, a herbalist. I love pronouncing that H. And uh, she's going to the school, and she can tell you what kind of sickness you're dealing with if she looks at your tongue for like two minutes. I was like, are you serious? That sounds amazing. And so she was in Crash Course, and I said, hey, hey, Kristen, look at my tongue. Would you please look at my tongue? She was like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Look at my tongue, please. 
So finally, you know, after she prolonged it a little bit, I stuck out my tongue, she reluctantly looked at it, and then immediately I was like, I'm so scared. I was like, do I, do I, am I gonna die? <laughs> Did you find cancer on my tongue? Like, I'm actually, I'm not trying to be funny, I like actually thought about it as she was looking at my tongue. I started to feel fear. I started to feel like, do I have like a terminal illness? Have you guys ever gone through that where you go to the doctor or you get on WebMD and you're like, I have every symptom that has ever existed. Be honest. Who's been there? You're like, I am going to die in one hour because I got on the internet. And so she's looking at my tongue and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And I started thinking about self-preservation and how I need to protect my life and I'm going to live differently when I get through this tongue inspection. Life is going to be different for me. And I went into this mode of kind of ugly self-preservation. And as I was thinking about that in this scripture, it reminded me of this time I was hanging out with one of my best friends, Ben Block. I don't know if you're watching on our Facebook live stream right now, Ben, but hello, greetings. Everyone say, hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. And so uh, he, he's a pastor friend. He was my first Christian friend, actually. And uh, he, he and I, one day, were walking down the road, and we're about to walk across the street. And so we get to the end of the sidewalk, and he's, like, about to walk across the street. I don't think we have a signal light or anything that gives us permission to walk. And as he is about to step his foot, first step onto the street, I see a huge semi coming really close to the road, and Ben doesn't notice it. And he's one of my best friends. And so like any good friends, as a semi is about to kill my best friend, I turn my back to him and grimace in fear and self-preservation because I didn't want to witness my best friend dying. <laughs> I'm a good friend. <laughs> and uh, I turn my back, and then at the last moment, Ben saw the semi that was about to hit him and kill him, and he sees me just turning my back, and he's like, bro, what are you doing? I was like, I'm protecting myself because you're about to die, and I don't want to go through the emotional trauma of watching you die. He's like, what kind of best friend are you? Like, you need to help me. <laughs> you need to protect me. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. And uh, as I'm thinking about the scripture where Jesus says those who lose their lives will find it. And as he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will by no means produce life. I, I find myself convicted a lot that I operate consistently and painfully in this habit of self-preservation. That I'm, a, I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of getting hurt, whether physically or emotionally, and I find myself kind of protecting myself and harboring myself. And at times it's cute, but at other times I, I realize that there's some ugliness inside of me. There's some things inside of me where I will gladly protect myself at the expense of another person. And I think if we're real honest, with ourselves, there are times where we're just kind of selfish, and we kind of prefer ourselves over, over other people, and we will let others suffer for our own comfort. You know, I, I don't know, I'm getting used to Washington drivers, but I, every time I try to get on an exit on a highway, I know that there are people who see me try to merge, and they just refuse to make eye contact with me. 
okay? And so I try to get on, and they're like, nope. I need to get to my destination five seconds faster, so I'm not gonna let you on. Who's, who's one of those people? Don't raise your hand, because I will probably fight you right now. <laughs> but I, I find myself like that, you know, as well. Like, I'm in traffic, I'm in a rush, and I, I find like, yeah, I'm a pastor, yeah, I'm a preacher, yeah, we started Kalos Church, but I am not gonna let you merge into my lane. And this ugliness happens, you know, I'm eating food, and there's one more, you know, potato chip left in the bag and someone goes for it and I'm like mm-mm you spit in the bag and you're like nobody's gonna ever have this food self-preservation am I the only one here that has a little bit of ugliness in my life and there are times like I'm like what do I do with this Jesus like how do I overcome this why is there so much ugliness inside of me why am I willing to discount others and put others in harm's way for the sake of my own benefit and I think at times we all deal with self-preservation and I want to talk about how there is hope in the cross that Jesus unveils a whole new framework of how we ought to live in a spirit of self-sacrifice. But before I get into kind of this new worldview that Jesus unveils on the cross, I kind of want to explain what is the cross? You know, it's this, it's this you know, thing that we see on jewelry or tattoos. Well, the cross is a, an instrument that was designed to torture people in the Roman Empire specifically, where it would be used as an example where people would say, hey, that was so gruesome, that was so horrible, I don't ever want to rebel against the Roman Empire because I don't want to face that kind of death. And it was so brutal, this type of death that Jesus endured on the cross, that Roman citizens were actually not allowed to be crucified. It was so horrible. It was, it was just for those who are slaves or those who are rebelling from the outside against the empire. In fact, in polite company, people were not allowed to talk about the cross because it was just so horrific. And uh, it was brutal. What it was is they would not only just nail someone to the cross, a piece of wood, but they would start off by stripping someone down, and they would take a whip sometimes called a cat of nine tails that had stones and glass in it, and they would just hit someone on the back until all their skin was bruised and bloody, and it would be like strips of flesh coming off of them. And then when they would get within one whip of their life, they would go and torture them some more. In fact, in Jesus's crucifixion, they put a crown of thorns with spikes about this deep, and they pressed it into his head. And then they gave him a wooden beam that was so heavy, and they rubbed the splinters and the wood, the rough, ragged wood of the cross, and they had him carry it after he had been beaten, really, within a whipping of his life. And then they brought him He had to carry his cross to the site where they would hoist up this cross so he was so high up that others could see that this was an example of death and torture that nobody would ever want to experience. They would nail his feet into the cross. They nailed his hands into the sides of the beam so that he would have just enough support that he could lift up his body to breathe, but he couldn't really breathe out. But in lifting up his body, he had put all the pressure on the nails. And so it was just, it was just horrible. It was just horrific. It's where we get the word excruciating from. The crux, the cross, just not something beautiful. 
Not something that any of us would want, something painful and horrible. And three centuries before this crucifixion even happened, three centuries before Jesus even walked the earth, there's this famous philosopher intellectual by the name of Plato, and he kind of wondered, what would happen if a perfect person ever walked on the earth? Mind you, this wasn't even a Jewish person. This wasn't a Christian person. This was an intellectual philosopher. Who's heard of Plato in this place? And so Plato, three centuries before Jesus ever walked on the earth, he's kind of musing to himself, what would happen if a person ever walked perfectly on earth? And Plato said, our just man will be scourged, racked, fettered, and at last, after all manner of suffering, will be crucified. Really interesting that Plato even saw that if a perfect man ever walked this earth, we would torture and kill and crucify a perfect person by means of a death that even a Roman citizen could not endure. And I, I think that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 through 25, it says this, For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Which seems logical if you've grown up in the church. Yeah, we know the power of the cross and Christianity. But to those of us who maybe didn't grow up Christian or studying religion like I didn't, I didn't grow up Christian, the cross is a little confusing. And the people back in the days when the Bible was being written, they were a little confused by the cross as well. It says to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Like how could Jesus, how could God be crucified? Like this is the leader we invested our lives in. This is the leader we thought was going to be the hope of the world, the all-powerful God. And yet here he is dying on a cross. But to, so for the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it was just foolishness. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So a perfect person comes to the earth, and it exposes the ugliness of the political leaders and the religious leaders, and they gave Jesus this horrible crucifixion, this thing that not any of us would have ever wanted. So how can we call this beautiful? How can any of us call this beautiful? Well, when you understand why Jesus died on the cross, you realize that it's quite beautiful. And to kind of illustrate it through a story of what happened here and how something so ugly and grotesque can be made beautiful, I want to tell you this story I heard the other day. It was about this little girl, and she had a mom that was, uh, to a lot of this little girl's friends, an ugly person. She had scars on her face and had some sort of bruises and welts. And a lot of the, the school uh, friends of this little girl would see this mom and call her ugly. And this little girl started to believe that, wow, my mom is ugly and wanted to one day approach her and be like, you know, as a little kid would say, hey, mom, why are you so ugly? <laughs> Has anybody ever asked you that? <laughs> Don't answer if that's been you. But this little girl walks up to her mom and says, hey, why, why are you so ugly? Like, what is going on with your face? And her mom, you know, that must have been so painful. And like, you know, nobody wants to hear that. And the mom said, 
Okay, I, I think you're of age to hear this now, but when you were a baby, a fire broke out in our house. And this fire was going to kill you, baby girl. This fire was going to destroy you. And I saw these flames, and I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to do something. And so I didn't hesitate, and I ran into the, the house that was on fire. I ran into your room, and uh, I, I, I just... I wanted to save you, and my instincts took over. And so I grabbed you out of your crib, but unfortunately at that time, the flames were so harsh and so hot and so fierce, I couldn't avoid it at all. And the flames started to burn my body, and the flames started to burn my face. And I, I, I saved you, but at a cost. I, I had pain and suffering, and my, my face was disfigured, but I saved you. And I, I don't regret that for one second at all. And so the reason my face looks like this, the reason why you call it ugly is because I chose to love you and face the pain so you didn't have to face that kind of suffering and pain. And this little girl, realizing what her mom had done for her, she, she had a revelation of the beauty of these scars, the beauty of the sacrifice. And she said, Mom, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. You're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. In the same way, we realize that the grotesque, excruciating pain of the cross is made beautiful because Jesus sacrificed himself willingly for our freedom. He, being perfect, he who had never made a mistake, Jesus, who, who said things while walking the earth, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, judge not lest ye be judged. Hey, love little children. Hey, let's, let's be uh, uh, more like Jesus. We see that Jesus, being perfect, was put on the cross because he exposed the ugliness of what we do in self-preservation, where we follow the law of life, where it says the fast eat the slow, where the strong eat the weak, where it's the survival of the fittest. But Jesus said, in my strength, I use my strength to be a sacrifice so that you can have life and you can have hope, thus exposing the ugliness that we have in our lives. And this, is, this can be a little confusing. There's this quote by uh, a philosopher and a, an apologist named Ravi Zacharias, and it says this, The cross stands as a mystery because it is, because it is foreign to everything we exalt, self over principle, power over meekness, the quick fix over the long haul, cover up over confession, escapism over com confrontation, uh, conforming over sacrifice, feeling over commitment, legality over justice, the body over spirit, anger over forgiveness, and eventually man over God. You see, we were caught in a cycle of sickness, of death, where in trying to self-preserve onto our life, we find that we lose our lives. Have you ever found in a relationship the more selfish you try to be in a relationship, the more you try to get your way in a relationship, whether it's with a friends or family or romance, that relationship begins to die. The more possessive you get over your friendships, the more they want to leave. And it's this whole cycle that we find ourselves in within the human condition 
where we try to save our lives and end up losing it. We try to cling on to things and end up losing it even more. What do we do when we have mistakes in our life and it feels like death is following us everywhere we go? Where it seems like we have these addictions that are killing the best parts of our life. When we make mistakes that seem to drive everyone around us crazy or away from us. What do we do with the ugliness of our lives? How do we escape death? Well, we realize in the example of Jesus that it wasn't just nails that put and kept Jesus on the cross. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. He willingly laid down his life so that we could find freedom. And this is a little mysterious that he would really take the worst of humanity, the ugliness of humanity, and sort of switch it around so that when we give him our worst, he gives us his best. And it's a mystery, something that we don't all relate to. But in the context of relationship, we realize the more we give, the more we have. And the more we hold on to, the less we have. And so Jesus is on the cross, experiencing the pain, having done nothing wrong. And he says, hey, even though they're torturing me, I say, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And when he's on the cross, Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, you were dead. We were all dead in the system of self-preservation, in this cycle of hopelessness and ugliness. It says you were dead because of your sins, the mistakes we've made, going our own way and finding it's not working anymore. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so at the cross, how is this beautiful? Because the cross represents a great exchange. Our ugliness for his beauty. Our ugliness for his beauty. When we give God our ugliest, he gives us his best through self-sacrificing love. And I love the picture of the cross because it gives us the clearest picture of what God is like. That God would rather die for his enemies than kill his enemies. People who do wrong or make mistakes. It's not a religion where Jesus is so angry with us and hates us. And he's like, oh my goodness, why are you messing up again? Why are you so miserable? Why are you so hopeless? He's saying, my children, my son, my daughter, like you're stuck in a cycle of death. You're stuck in a cycle of sickness. Like you don't have to live this way. And I know, I know you don't know what you're doing. So I say, hey, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And, and friends, you might be stuck in a cycle where you're just going through the same thing over and over and over. And you're like, what do I do with my ugliness? What do I do with my sickness? And I just want to say that Jesus on the cross, he knew everything that you would ever do, good, bad, ugly. And he says, hey, I will take it all and I will exchange your ugliness for my beauty. 
And in this idea of self-sacrificial love, Jesus says, hey, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will by no means produce life. So guess what? I am going to die so that you can have life. I will cancel your debt. I will cancel the consequences of your sin for eternity. And I will give you hope and life and peace and joy. And I just ask, let your sins, let your ugliness be nailed on the cross. Because in the cross, he absorbs our sin and transforms them into something beautiful. You know, you might be like me where you find yourself in selfishness or ugliness. And you're thinking, oh, how am I ever going to get over this? How am, I, how am I ever going to get through this? Will I always be like this? But there's hope in the cross and that you don't have to be your own solution. You don't have to be strong enough, good enough. You don't have to willpower your way into becoming a better person. In fact, it's the cross that says all are welcome. Bring your death, bring your ugliness, bring your pain, and let me make it beautiful. In the cross, we bring our worst, and he gives us our best. Oh, I remember as a young man, feeling like there is no hope for me. And band, you guys can come up here. Feeling like there is no hope for me. There is no life for me. There is no plan for me. And I, I just remember finding myself saying, Jesus, I don't have a lot to offer you. I don't have a lot to give you. But you know what? I can't hold on to this pain anymore. I can't hold on to this ugliness anymore. So I will give it to you. I will nail my sins to the cross. I ask that you would exchange my ugliness for your beauty. And that decision I made, it changed everything for me. And if you're dealing with something, addictions, if there's stress in your marriage, if there's stress in your job, if you feel like you're just going through the motions of life, and you're trying something, and maybe it works for a second, but then you find yourself empty and hopeless again, my friends, nail your pain to the cross and let him exchange it for something way more beautiful. You know, I just, I just remember so many times being suicidal as a young man and turning to popularity or turning to, you know, just these quick fixes. All my friends wanting to commit suicide, many of them committing suicide. And now I'm just thinking, if only I had known the power of the cross, that from death comes life and we don't have to live this way alone. If only I would have known then what I know now. If only my friends would have known then what I know now. That there is power in the cross. There is hope in the cross. Everything would have been made different. You know, so how, how can something like this be made beautiful? A device meant for torture. It's because nobody took the life of Jesus from him. He willingly laid it down. So that we could find freedom. Jesus, he saw that death had a hold of us. But he said, hey, death, you may own these people right now, <laughs> but not for long, over my dead body. Over my dead body. 
<laughs> There's this picture that I actually, you know, my dad put it up in the house when I was early in my development and young in my faith. And it was this beautiful painting on the wall of my house. And it was this, it was this picture of Jesus on the cross and like the sky, <laughs> blue skies and clouds everywhere. And this is so corny, but I think it really applies. It's so corny. And uh, the caption on the picture says, Jesus, how much do you love me? Jesus, how much do you love me? And it, it says he spread out his arms and he said this much. That he would endure the most excruciating pain. Something that wasn't even allowed for Roman citizens. Something that Roman citizens really weren't even encouraged to talk about in polite company. The fact that Jesus, God, would die for us. So many religions and thought processes are all about like us being human sacrifice to appease the gods. But here we have a clear picture of what God is like. That Jesus would die for us. That Jesus would die for you. And there are people in this room where you're, you're just afraid of God and you feel like you're no good. And you feel like, oh, I'll come to church and I'll try to bring my best to God. But I just want to change that around. I want us to be a culture where we say, hey, in the presence of God, at Kalos Church, we don't just bring our best to God. We're a safe community where we say, I am going to bring my worst to God because I know that in my weakness we can see the strength of God when I bring my worst he brings his best and so Jesus we just acknowledge that there are things about me that I hate there is ugliness in me but Lord right now I choose to bring you my worst because I need your best I can't live it my way anymore oh Lord I want you I receive you I need you Jesus you're my hope and so Father thank you for the the cross a place where I can exchange it and I see your sacrifice and what once looked so ugly Lord I see it as beautiful because of your sacrifice can we bow our heads and close our eyes oh father in this place I just pray a prayer for every person in this place who's just struggling who's hopeless and Lord I pray that even right now we can kneel at the cross and find our place at the cross. Lord, that we wouldn't try to just will our way into a better life, but we would freely receive what you've freely given to us. And so if you're in this place and you're saying, hey, I, I'm living in death, I want to encourage you that Jesus defeated death on the cross. He willingly laid down his life for you, for us, for the world. And if you're in this place and you, you've never made a decision to receive the love of Jesus, made a decision to follow Jesus, and you're just kind of stuck, this is the time to give your life to Jesus. And so I'm, I'm going to count to three, and I, I, I'm going to ask that you boldly raise your hand so I can see it, so I can pray for you to receive the love of Jesus. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see it, and then just put it down. Put it down, and I'm going to pray for you to receive this great exchange. So if you need the love of Jesus, if you need a fresh start, if you need to exchange your ugliest parts for the beauty of Jesus on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand so I can see it. It's awesome. 
hands all over this room. It's beautiful. You can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you making the decision to follow Jesus, making the decision to exchange your ugliness for his beauty. And the amazing thing is that even from our broken pieces, Jesus makes masterpieces. You're not ugly in God's sight. You're a new creation. And I, I want to lead us all in a prayer together. So if you could lift up your eyes to the screen. And like we've been saying every week, this isn't a magic spell, but these are just some words to articulate maybe what we're feeling as we decide to follow Jesus. So if we could all repeat this together. God, and make this your prayer. God, thank you for loving me. Right now, I choose to follow the ways of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I have made mistakes. Please forgive me and help me turn from my old ways forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Come on, that Jesus would make us new. It's awesome. Well, I want to ask us all to stand up to our feet, and we're going to celebrate and sing about the beauty of Jesus, that his love would consume us, that his love washes over us. He's amazing. Isn't Jesus amazing in this place? Oh, Jesus, we love you. Come on, even right now, if you're comfortable, let's lift up our hands and let's surrender to the love of Jesus and say, Jesus, we surrender to your love. We're not going to put up a fight anymore as a universal sign of surrender, lifting up our hands, Lord. We say, have your way in this place. Let your beauty invade the darkest parts of my heart. Let your beauty beat this atmosphere as we make known the beauty of Jesus. Your love is so deep. Your love is so great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Our hope is in you. Our transformation is in you. So we lift up our hands and we sing these songs as a sign that we receive your love. Let's sing. Come on, everyone. Let's lift up our voices.